0: So this, this week we're on the station of the cross where Jesus has been crucified and he looks down and his mother's there and I'm sure his mother is weeping and he looks and also sees a good friend by his mother and so he does the, a beautiful thing he gives his mother to his friend and his friend to his mother. Let's, let's read the passage from John 19, 25 to 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. That passage is really important in the Catholic Church. It has helped them shape their thoughts on Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's three Marys. It's kind of like Kevin. There's always three Kevins. There's three Marys here. And I went down a bit of a rabbit hole this week, just looking into the whole history of this idea of Mary and and how they um, they have raised her up. And in fact, I actually found it quite beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, right? One, one thing that they do is they take this, this label of the disciple that Jesus loved to be a universal statement. Doesn't Jesus love all his disciples? Hmm. Can you place yourself there? A disciple that Jesus loved. I see someone saying, no, they can't see themselves there. Hopefully we can find ourselves there. Can you picture yourself as the disciple that Jesus loved? You may notice this week, if you see a familiar face, I tried to place myself this week as the disciple that Jesus loved. What an incredibly safe place to be. The disciple that Jesus loved. And since they take that statement to be universal, because Jesus loves all his disciples, when Jesus says, dear woman, here is your son, Jesus is saying that to all disciples that will ever be. Jesus, or Mary, then becomes the mother of all disciples, of all the children of God. And for me, I, I know that, you know, We can go too far with things. But to me, it's just a helpful image. Because Jesus has already given the image of Father to his disciples. He's already given them the Father. In John 14, 8-11, says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So, why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. So, Jesus has already given the Father to his disciples. He says, If you want to know who the Father is, look at me. I am like the Father. And then he offers Mary, a mother. I love that. A beautiful parental image for all believers, right? A mother and a father. And I think it points ahead to the family of God, the church, who is supposed to be family, new family. It's a beautiful image because Jesus is fully God. And he's fully man. And while we're never going to really be just like him, we're called to try to be that, to follow him. Jesus prays for us, right? He prays that we would be one with the Father. God the Father is spirit. Mary is flesh and bone. Parental image of God made man. And as we are given the Father and Jesus gives his disciples, his mother, we are reminded that we are both God's breath and the dirt of creation. I think that's an amazing image. And it should remind us that we are part of a family of God. God. Not only do we need God the Father who is spirit, but we need flesh and bone. We need each other. We need mothers and sisters and brothers and daughters and sons. God calls us into family and he gives us to each other to care for, to encourage to laugh with, and to cry with. Working with people who have experienced trauma really enforces this for me, this sort of need for a beautiful parental image, right? Studies have been done on this thing called adverse childhood experiences. Has anybody heard of that? ACEs, yeah. Of course, people in the medical field know. Adverse childhood experiences. These are things in someone's life, like neglect, abuse, substance use by parents, um, mental health issues in parents, homelessness, etc., poverty. And there's a direct correlation to the adverse childhood, ex- childhood experiences and long-term health concerns. And not only that, but people who take risky behaviors. People are meant to have healthy parental figures. Figures that provide love, safety, security. This image of Jesus offering his mother to the disciples reminds us that we have safe parents. And it should challenge us to be safe for others. If Jesus offers a mother to John and a son to Mary, what does that mean for us who consider ourselves to be part of the family called the church. It has been thought that, that life is in the blood. In fact, in um, Leviticus it says, for the life of the body is in its blood. And that's true, right? We know that if blood, enough blood leaves the body, the body dies. But it's also true that breath is life. God creates and sustains us, right? He breathes life His breath is in all of creation, right? In the mosquito, in the platypus, in the stars, in you, in the person in front of you. And it's important for us to see that God breathed into people prior to them passing along their DNA. I love the order of that. God's breath before blood. Throughout the scriptures, we see these lineages, right? Lists of people who pass on their DNA through blood. But even those who aren't included in those lineages, in that blood, they receive the breath of God. And they're sustained by it. But just in case we miss the point, Jesus on the cross, before he comes to the cross, he offers his blood and says, Drink. All of you. He gives us the new covenant. Galatians 3.16 says, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. All those lists of those people who begat and begat, they point to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus who says, here is your son. Here is your mother. Here is your family. Blood family is important. It's just not the only important family. I wonder if this is the reason why the scriptures have more than 200 passages on those who have no lineage. God offers family to all To those who have healthy relationships with their blood, and to those who are left out, usually called the orphans, the widows, the foreigners, strangers, or aliens, depending on the translation. And many Christian scholars would say that the image of the family of God only extends to those who have believed in and accepted Jesus. I just don't believe them. Who God has given us, when God says, Here is your mother. Lord, here is your son. That is part of the family. For me, the narrative of Scripture goes from sort of a tribalist thought to more of a universal thought process, right? From a chosen man to a chosen nation to all people and to all of creation. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we read, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was only a blessing to be or was only blessed so that he could be a blessing. It wasn't for him, it was for the whole earth. And later on, some of Abraham's bloodline. They try to use their blood to exclude people. To push people away. And John the Baptist calls them out. He actually calls them a brood of vipers. And I wish I could use that today. That would be great. Matthew 3, 8, 9. Prove by the way you live, John says. You have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham... From these very stones. And later on, Paul then addresses the inclusion of Gentiles into God's family in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So now you are Gentiles So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You are no longer strangers, foreigners. You are part of the family. Thank God for that, because I don't think there's any Jewish people here, is there? None of us would be included. And you have to read that that passage from Ephesians in context, right? The Gentiles were not even allowed in the temple. There was a whole court outside of the temple that was for Jewish people and women. Um, They really couldn't go much further than that. And now Paul says, the Gentiles are part of the temple proper. In fact, part of the Holy of Holies where God dwelt, that's where they thought he dwelt. And, and Paul says here, they are made part of the dwelling where God lives. It is thought that when Jesus went to the temple, we hear Jesus talking or teaching in the temple, that he stayed in the court of the Gentiles. It's where he flipped tables. It's probably where he healed people. Because they weren't allowed, further they were unclean. The literal presence of God with the outcasts, and God calls the Gentiles members of God's family. That doesn't seem so shocking to us because we're pretty much all Gentiles here, right? But that must have been difficult for his Jewish uh, Jewish listeners who had all these lists of lineages they thought they were the only sons of abraham that they alone were god's family but god's promise to abraham and the nation of israel never they were never for them it was always about blessing all of creation And then we come to Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. We all begin in family, in blood family, right? We don't really have a choice. I don't think we have any clone people yet, do we? Not that I've heard of. We all begin... In blood. And some are adopted into good families, and some are not. Some are brought up in a beautiful, healthy, as healthy as they can be family. And others experience the trauma and horror of abuse and neglect. And all of us, as adolescents, unless there's reasons, we move out, we find other places to belong. Sport groups, uh, game groups, all kinds of things. Many people even, they identify with their nation. Right? And these are all okay things. I'm not going to even say good. They're okay things. We just can't get stuck in a group. Family is good. However, God only gave us blood family to show the world his love. Not to keep it for ourselves. And nations can be good. But as we see in the story of, of God's people, the nation of Israel was meant to show the world God's goodness, God's love. So we encou- when we encounter the Pharisees and Sadducees in the New Testament, we see that they're stuck in their groups. They believe themselves to be the only children of Abraham. And they exclude others. We see them stuck in their identity as God's chosen nation. And they miss out on the blessing of seeing and being a reflection of God's love. Jesus criticizes them in in Luke 4, 25 to 27. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine through the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed. Only name in the Syrian. That made them mad. See, they thought that bloodline or blood family was what was most important. And what does Jesus say? Take, drink, a covenant in my blood. He gives us his DNA. They thought their nation was important. And over and over again in our sacred writings, we're told to reach out beyond our nation to the foreigner, the strangers, the outcasts. Unfortunately, I feel like the church continues to be known for who it excludes more than who it includes. Instead of being inf- known for its infinite love, And we should be known for inclusion. I know that I need to look more like Jesus who ate with tax collectors and sinners, who hung out with sex workers and spoke with Samaritans. And Jesus says, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Dear woman, here is your son. Just for a minute, think that Jesus is speaking to you. Dear woman, here is your son. Who is it that Jesus is adding to your family? To the family of God. Do you see someone's face? Do you know someone? I know this, this statement of John taking Mary into his house or into his home can be scary for us. Some of us may literally need to take people into our homes. Some have. We can also see that home is a place of belonging. And we can offer a space of safety, of belonging. Do you have anyone in mind? Psalms 127, 3-5 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Mary's given a new child, John, a new gift from God. Can we see that those who God has placed in our lives as gifts? Often it seems like I treat others like they're a burden. But God gives us opportunity for a quiverful full of children, if we see others as gifts. It seems to me that we think we can only love so much, that there's only so much love in us to give, and so we're pretty careful of who we give that to. So we give it to people who act like us, look like us, think like us. To be honest. That's simply self-love. And it's not the kind of love that God calls us to. Love for those who are different, who challenge us, is the love that God calls us to. But it isn't in short supply. I found that the more I love others, the more love I have. That's because the source of our love is infinite. Because God is infinite and God is love. Here is your mother, he says to John. There's a double gift here. Mary is given a son. But John also grows his family. He's given a mother. And he's given all of her children, brothers and sisters, siblings. Recently in the church, there's been this huge push on discipleship, right? I, I don't know if you guys know in the church world that the, that's the big thing, like where you need to be disciple-makers. And there is a huge need for people to grow, to grow in their walk with God. And, and, and so the answer has been this, be a disciple-maker. And to be honest, I think it's backwards. People need the safety of loving family first. Just like in blood families in, in our families, There has to be safety and security for people to grow and mature. People who are neglected have something called failure to thrive. There has to be a place for us to be able to make mistakes and to still be loved, to fail and still belong. It seems to me that discipleship or mentorship, whatever we're calling it these days, coaching, there's all kinds of new things they say, would actually flow organically if we could offer this space. So my question is this morning for us is, can we be family? Look around you. I know some of you are new, but look around you. Can we be family? I love that our church is connected with so many churches. Because we get to go and visit them. And I love that we have different theologies. That's a test of love. There'll be a test of love when masks come off next week or when they don't come off, depending on who you are. This... This kind of family, though, it can't happen one hour on a Sunday. It's impossible. It grows through life on life, through years. It's walking the journey together. And you'll know that if you've walked the journey with someone long enough. It's the beautiful thing I love about our 12-step program. You see relationships that are familial because... They spend time together. They know each other. And maybe this family thought process begins with us listening to Jesus this morning. Let's just listen to him for a minute as he hangs on the cross. Here is your daughter. Here is your brother. Here is your sister. Here is your son. God, we are thankful for the blood that you've given us. That it isn't in our natural blood, but in the blood that you've shed for us that creates new family. God, help us to grow in that as family. Help us to learn what it means to be mothers and sons. Teach us to love like you. Now go in the grace, in the peace, in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.